0: This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking, who attacked our country? And you have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred my motives. And night fell on a different world. And it is thinking, you know should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Satan? And a conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have had so much to gain and have such a material motive. Of mankind. And uh, who was
1: the grotto leader? Don't oh, remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Yeah. Now, these people are very happy that yes. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, Episode 7. I am your co host, Dimitri.
2: I'm Khaled.
1: And today we are going to pivot away from our discussion of et channeled religious texts and we're going to get back down to a more material affair if you will but as we're going to find out it maybe wasn't so material after all um and um and this being the uh, second week in september that's right we are going to do an episode about 9-11 yeah and But not just any episode about 9-11. I think a lot has been said um, over this incident, which is extremely formative, and I know probably both of our lives, it's safe to say. Um, yeah. gen- generationally, um, the September 11, 2001, truly was a sort of BC, AD, uh, changing of the aeons, In a way, in a very real way, regardless of whatever your religious beliefs are or if you don't have any, it unmistakably changed the landscape of our country and our world at almost every level, I would say.
2: Uh, Definitely. And it was definitely a formative event for like the millennial generation, uh, for sure. And everything that followed the Iraq war, I think maybe the formative political event for our generation certainly for me um,
1: yeah absolutely know. it was critical to the forming of my sort of political consciousness in the 2000s as a youth and I guess if we want to do sort of the, uh, the the ritual American thing maybe we can mention sort of where were we on that morning you know and what was it like what was our subjective experience well of 9/11. I
2: actually had a prophetic dream about 9-11 um, really? Yes. Yeah, so the night before nine eleven, I dreamt of, like, people falling out of buildings and, like, jumping out of, like, skyscrapers. Um, and I think that it was uh, sort of maybe I had heard about the stock market crash, like maybe we were learning about the Roaring Twenties or something. And I, that was maybe because uh, so, I remember asking my mom in the car on the way to school, like, about... Black Tuesday, you know. Uh, oh, that's and, so like, weird. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, after it happened, I remember telling my friend that, like, while you're waiting for the bus, and, like, some fucking dude, like, uh, an eighth grader or something was like, uh, no, you did not. No, you did not have that dream, my friend. But I did. I did have a friend dream about 9-11. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, when it actually happened, I guess, I actually, I was a little bit confused when I first heard about it because... I didn't associate the Twin Towers with the World Trade Center. I don't really remember if I knew, like, uh, what the World Trade Center was or, like, its importance or anything. I thought, when people first told me that they, at the time I heard that they were bombed, that the Twin Towers were bombed, I thought the Twin Towers they were referring to were the Astro towers from, like, the World's Fair that you often see, like, if you're driving into New oh, York. like Queens, like, like near JFK? Yeah, 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 <laughs> So, uh, yeah, a little bit uh, less uh, of an appealing target or, you know, less of a, uh, a earth shattering event if those had been toppled. But, um, yeah, the ones, like, from Men in Black, uh, maybe, if people aren't from yeah. um, New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, some
1: predictive programming. I don't know. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but, but, yeah. But you, uh, it's, it's worth mentioning that, like, you, you grew up outside of New York,
2: Yeah, well, I am from, like, one of the communities that was, like, hardest hit by 9-11 because a lot of the people in my community worked uh, in that area because it was, like, a rich sort of place. Um, And, like, a lot of people there were, like, stockbrokers or, like, people who worked on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So it was actually one of the hardest hit communities, like, proportionally in terms of people who died in uh, 9-11 was my hometown.
1: And um, how did how did that play out when you were in class? Were there kids in your school who had parents that were working in the World Trade Center or in well, downtown? Well,
2: yeah, I yeah, my own dad would have been down there, but he actually was on a trip at the time, um, and uh, hmm. so yeah, mm, yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he might have done it, but not um but anyway, like, um,
1: uh, not a subliminal Jihad, not above suspecting our own dads of doing yeah, 9-11. Mm,
2: yeah. Uh, talk out about here. a subliminal Jihad. but anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, no, um, but yeah, so there were definitely people who, like, you know, and there were lots of, like, candlelight vigils and that type of thing. Like, it was very much like, you know, I think that there were, like, some, there was some press around, like, how many people in our town died like uh, you know uh even internationally people talked about it so it was like a big thing uh and it was a very strange time like i remember you know like the like the radio edits of like uh, uh like uh, you know i can be your hero baby like you oh, know with, yeah, like intercut yeah. with like the you know clips about firefighters and things like that yeah. um you know, I remember all the articles about like today. There's been like,
1: national tragedy. Yeah, you know stuff like, like that. Like we, we got a
2: fire in the North Tower. Yeah, exactly. There was a whole was genre been, like, of fade stuff. Out. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember one of my favorites that really hit, tugged on the heartstrings that fall was uh, a bootleg MP3 I downloaded from Napster. Um, <laughs> that was like the Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix with a bunch of news clips and audio and things like that. Sort of cut over it that was a lot of like, yeah, like firefighters and George W. Bush talking and giving speeches and, uh, you know, witness things. It was, I mean, it was very legitimately, it was hard not to be moved by in such a climate as this. It was, uh, especially if you were an adolescent or, I mean, really anybody. Like, you know, if you were a boomer, if you're an older person, if you're a little kid, everybody was affected by it. And the media, Really, I mean, they sprang into action, kind of memorializing this event immediately. Um, I don't know how many hundreds of times all of us who were glued to the to CNN during those days, like, watched yeah. the planes hit the towers and watched the towers collapse. Like, it was just played on an infinite loop yeah. uh, in a 24-hour news cycle, probably for, like, at least several months. Um, and... I I guess uh, to to contrast with your experience, I was 3,000 miles away, about as far away from New York City and Washington as you could get. I was in the Bay Area, and it was my first week of high school. And I went to a Catholic high school, so I think it was even more primed for sort of uh, framing things in a kind of spiritual way. Um, But really... I think I was uh, I was just about to leave to go to school when I think one of my aunts called and my mom exclaiming turn on the TV we're under attack <laughs> and I thought what what do you mean under attack and we turned it on and so we found out about it when it was right after the the second plane had hit and so we turned on the TV and there were two big gaping holes in the World Trade Center. And I think word had just gotten out that a plane had hit the Pentagon. And then I had to go to school uh, to go to my first week of marching band practice, uh, which was a weird vibe because on the way on the drive to school, the tower started collapsing. And so by the time I got there, there were no more World Trade Centers. And, you know, I mean, they didn't send everybody home uh, because nobody knew what the hell was happening. I remember some like older kids were like joking in the hallways like, dude, like, I hope they uh, I hope they like crash into San Francisco so we can go home. <laughs> like, and I remember being kind of mad at like, do you fuckers not realize what's going on right now? Like this is this is this has changed the whole game. Like we're like under attack by something and like we're going to have a war. And one of the weird things about 9-11, you know, you're like a little four, 14 year old 9-11 humble brag is uh, I was the first kid. I think I was the only kid in my history class that day. Who, when our teacher asked us, uh, gentlemen, who did uh, who did this attack? I like shot my hand up like a, like a geopolitics nerd um, because. Uh, I knew that it was Osama bin Laden, you know, which is ironic because yeah. now I don't think it was Osama bin Laden, <laughs> really. Uh, but, like, on that day, because in, I think, a year earlier, I had a very good history teacher in middle school. Shout out to Mr. Russi, if you ever hear this. Um, but he uh, he would make us do these current event assignments every week where you had to pick a news article of something that was going around, you know, something happening in politics or in the world, and then write, like, two paragraphs kind of summarizing it and why you think it's important. And I just, because, of, I don't know, I was in my peak rap- metal phase in middle school, uh, I was sort of drawn to the USS coal bombing and I cut out a news clipping of, you know, this thing where somebody drove a dinghy into a Navy vessel in, uh, I believe it was in Yemen. And uh, in the port and killed about 20 sailors, and it went into a little detail about how, you know, uh, like authorities believe that, you know, this was done by the uh, Saudi terrorist mastermind Osama bin Laden, who has declared a jihad against the United States three years ago, and he runs an organization called Al-Qaeda, which means the base in Arabic, and they have declared that they they are believed to be responsible for the Kenya and Tanzania embassy bombings in 1998, Um, and uh, I think some other minor attacks as well, and uh, and you know, so it's interesting. Like I mean, there there were a couple of terrorist attacks that sort of established that Bin Laden is trying to get at. U.S. targets and they were all overseas, but like I was very like, ooh, ooh yeah, yeah, Osama bin Laden did it. Al Qaeda, they're behind it. And then I was very, it was very surreal to watch that then, you know, become the narrative that came out probably by the, the end of the day. I mean, they, they were pushing it within an hour or two. I think if you were watching news all day, that uh, yeah. I think you know reports are coming out that this may have something to do with Osama bin Laden. And um, I think when they found one of the Saudi hijackers' passports like perfectly intact on the ground outside of the World Trade Center that had just, like, flown out of the plane, um, they were able to, quote-unquote, confirm that, you know, this is, in fact, what had happened, and there there was a jihad, and it was coming yeah. for us. Um, so, yeah, that was that, that was basically where I was, and, uh, and then that did change the entire... I literally was like, okay, this is going to be the backdrop of, like, your entire high school experience. People are already talking about, like, you know, joining the military, or not wanting to get drafted into the military, and, you know, things like that. And the world historical significance is like really difficult to understate like how it felt at the time that like the 90s had been so kind of petty and superficial and even though there was a lot of horrible things going on in america it was like oh did uh did bill clinton get an intern to like give him a blow job like let's all make jokes about it and you know or like that you know do video games make you turn you into a combine shooter which you know we've talked about and like uh. <laughs> yeah. but uh, but but still it all felt very small ball and like like as francis fukuyama had said we had reached the end of history and you know the great epochal struggle between capitalism and communism had been resolved and we were the undisputed winners and now sort of liberal democratic capi- world capitalism was going to be just the uh, like the end point of history that uh, nothing really significant was ever going to happen again and then this Attack came and just blew that a uh, blew a big fat hole in that sort of certainty that people had. Would
0: you dance if I asked you to dance? Our hearts and prayers are with the victims. Would you run? Some people were going into churches. There was this girl that had a big hole in her leg. Would you cry? She just couldn't outrun it. If you saw me cry, you just couldn't outrun this cloud of dust. Would you save
1: my soul? Tonight. You prepare for the worst, but you don't believe it'll happen? Would you tremble? And this is the worst. If
0: I touched your lips, I was thrown to a window. Would you laugh? I was very lucky to get out. Oh, please tell me this. Now would you die? When I left the building for the one you love. I just thought that we were headed to some triage or something.
1: happened some guy came out whose skin was all off. I, can kiss
0: I helped him out the many many innocent people
1: I will stand
0: by you forever
2: that will have lost their lives
0: firefighters everyone yelling run run
2: Yeah, I remember most of all, like, more than being, like, moved, like, emotionally. What I remember is, like, the, f- like, I remember, like, the fear. I remember the, mm-hmm. I remember Time, I remember there's a Time magazine article about, like, all the places that, like, dirty bombs could be set off and things oh, like God. that. You yeah. know, I remember, yeah. like. If they
1: got a nuke. It, oh. Yeah, and yeah, not yeah, to mention the Anthrax stuff. scare, which yeah, uh, was sent to right. Tom Daschle and I think um, yeah. Patrick Moynihan, or, uh, or Pat Leahy, I believe. And, um, and that, you know, which came out years later, it's still murky as to, like, where that came from. But it basically got traced back to a U.S. government scientist at, like, a defense biolab that had, like, stolen the laboratory-made anthrax, and then mailed it out to a bunch of people and wrote a bunch of dumb, like, crude, like, uh, praise to Allah, like, uh, <laughs> death to Israel, and then mailed it out to all these people who conveniently were uh, kind of stonewalling the Patriot Act from getting passed, and then they got a bunch of anthrax passages packages sent yeah. to them, uh-huh. and that and then that Patriot Act got through real quick after that. And um, But, like, that was, that didn't come out, you know, the exposure of that, and I'm talking in the mainstream press, like, they this was reported on in, like, major newspapers that, huh, it seems like this one guy just went crazy and decided to do this. And then when they closed in on I mean, him, he, like, killed himself. The like Case closed. So it was, like, a diluted, lone anthrax man. Yeah. Um, was the sort of limited hangout, but even that didn't come out for maybe like five, six, seven years after nine eleven. At the time, we were still thinking like, if this guy could pull off this sophisticated of an operation, and then he has access to like anthrax, holy shit! Like he could shut down America, and everything was kind of a lot of the things in the culture were kind of aimed at combating that fear. You know, uh, George W. Bush told everybody to go out shopping, right? Very famously. Yeah. Um, that, like, that was going to be the way we would fight back against it. It honestly has some weird echoes of kind of coronavirus 2020 kind of things, directives from government, stay at home, like, you know, uh, wear a mask. Like, not, like, passing total judgment on those, you know, health tactics, but the way in which they're kind of rolled out as pronouncements. And then there's this, like, hysterical fear that is cultivated by, You know, uh, CNN usually leading kind of the pack, but
2: uh it's an interesting comparison though because I feel like there are a lot of like key contrasts where one is such like a a targeted sort of uh, symbolic kind of attack, and the other one is. Uh, you know, like a, a military action or, you know, not a military action because it targets civilians, but you know what I mean? Like a uh, a terrorist attack, whereas the other one is pervasive. Uh, You're right. It it's so nebulous. Clear, it, it's you very, can't yeah. even tell how
1: deadly it is. It's you just deep, know that. Yeah. It's very almost like like Lovecraftian in, in its invisibility and its ability yeah. to, like, drive us all crazy. It's like a Joker virus in a way. It's like, you know, turning us a, like, you know, like, exploiting our fear to turn us uh, against, you know, one another and, like, paralyze our economy and our society and degrade whatever's left of, like, our old institutions and uh, and open the door, like, for kind of um, maybe some more, like, demonic projects that the ruling mm-hmm. class has in store for us, regardless of whether or not they, you know, unleash this uh, sort of, you know... Uh, bio phenomenon upon the world. But anyways, like that's that's definitely an episode for another day. But we just wanted to, yeah, I think it's good to point out kind of the, how the media performatively, how the media, I don't know, is so critical to like our perception of these attacks. And I mean, 9-11, you're right, is so clearly symbolic. And we will get to that because uh, I guess we might have buried the lead a little bit. But today we're going to kind of fly over all of the more material conspiracy theories surrounding 9-11. So that includes things like at the very top skim level is like, did the Bush administration let it happen? Beyond that is like, did they help orchestrate it to happen? Um, Beyond that is like, what were the different networks? Like, was it just 19, you know, uh, 19 hijackers and Osama bin Laden and a few key operatives? Or, you know, were they backed by other foreign intelligence agencies as well as our own? Uh, Then there the, the the attacks themselves. Like, you know, were there uh, explosives planted in the buildings because no no two skyscrapers have ever collapsed in that fashion after getting hit by a plane. And granted, not many 757s have crashed into skyscrapers, but it's still, and then, you know, the collapse of World Trade Center. And like, how did that happen? Um, or the Pentagon and the, la- the fact they've never released video footage of what hit the Pentagon and um, and the curious targeting of some of the offices in the World Trade Center and in the Pentagon. And, uh, you know, all of that, I think, is very important. And it's like, now I'm going on 15 years. I think probably it was around 2005, like the loose change era. Remember that? That was the first. Of
2: course, yeah, I remember. The first
1: really groundbreaking thing that went kind of proto-viral on the Internet and was uh, kind of opened up people's eyes to just this kind of discourse that actually had been happening with certain researchers. People like Michael Rupert, Dave McGowan were talking. Talking about this, like literally on September 12th, being like, "Oh, this is obviously like an orchestrated thing," um, but uh, but it was really in, it took a few years amidst all the chaos and hubbub for those voices to kind of break through, and it was really the war in Iraq that precipitated that because it was so obviously kind of uh a lie and a mendacious like use of of our national trauma to like invade a country that had nothing to do with 9-11 and then it was going horribly and it seemed like bush really was like becoming this sort of imperial warlord um that was gonna you know remake the neocons were gonna remake the world by by brute force and that was a big turning point i think also politically in terms of like realizing you know that they really did like how deep does this go like i mean they lied to Get us into the war in Iraq, and then we all just like ate up this 9/11 thing. We're so traumatized by it, but you know, like, look, you start to see some of these connections and weird anomalies. But then you get to a deeper level of some people saying that there were, say, no planes. Uh, that hit. Uh, the, I think you mentioned the documentary in plain sight um, yes. that uh, I think uh, endorses the hologram theory that um, the planes were you know either hijacked or shot down and take like as we said Michael Aquino endorsed this theory very strangely. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody who's like very high up in military intelligence and uh, it, this is kind of like really right up his alley the idea of like a mega ritual psyop uh, kind of thing. Uh, but I, you know I've always shied away from that. However, then you, get, you look at the Pentagon, and the Pentagon, uh, I think even Michael Moore in, like, Fahrenheit 9-11, uh, didn't he have a segment on it? Or maybe it was loose change that really went into, like, why are there only three still frames from a security camera that show, like, a blurry object? Like, crashed. So some people thought that maybe, like, was it a cruise missile? Yeah, or some kind right. of drone that mm-hmm. crashed into the west side of the Pentagon, which housed the accounting department and the Office of National <laughs> Intelligence, who were investigating, like, uh, fraud and embezzlement and like secret money trails and they all died. So that's convenient. Um, and the, there are kind of things like, that. you know, some people, the, some conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, popular in kind of the alt media over the last, like, 20 years have pushed that, you know, there was some kind of directed energy weapon that took down the towers the way it happened, and or like a miniature nuclear bomb, and that's why that the debris was so toxic. And I think some of those are kind of red herrings that are sort of thrown into the mix, to distract you, and without getting too deep into, like, which ones, you know, do I buy more or not, let's just say that, like, the focus of today's podcast overall is going to be kind of above and below all of those things. Yes. Um, Because we're Um, discussing a book, uh, I guess, let's introduce it, right? We are discussing a book that we've been aware of for some time um, and you're very well acquainted with that um, has the rather striking title, uh, The Most Dangerous Book in the World, 9-11 as Mass Ritual by S.K. Bain.
2: Yes, Um, I think I may have heard of this book from you. But I was probably more into it than uh, you were uh, at, the, at the time. It was uh, some years've we've, yeah, we've been kind of into SK Bain or, or casual SK Bain fans. Um, and yeah, ter- well, we'll get to the basic premise of the book in a second. but I think mm-hmm. that it's important to know that uh, who SK Bain is, um, which you know he acknowledges in, in his work is that he's a former art editor at the Weekly Standard. Um, and he was, like, a colleague of Tucker Carlson, John Pod Horitz, David Brooks, all these people. You know, he shared offices with the Project for the New American Century, you know, the people who were like, oh, it would be great if we had a new Pearl Harbor, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, so, yeah the uh, peanut crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The neocons, so, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I guess he went rogue from that world, and he uh, got, I guess, uh, deeply into this type of stuff. Um, and... Uh, basically, what he does, what I think is very interesting about this book is that there's all sorts of uh, comments that have been made by people uh, in various domains of intelligentsia or, uh, you know, the conspiracy world about 9-11 being like kind of an artwork or having sort of an, an artistic des- a- a design to it, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's baudrillard art or, you know, we talked about last time. Stockhausen. uh, Yes, Stockhausen. Um, So, what I think that is very interesting about 9 11 is mass ritual. Is that he actually makes an attempt? You know whether you agree with every uh, aspect of it or of his analysis or not, but he makes an attempt to analyze the events in that sort of term as in those terms, kind of as a production or a play, like uh, an artwork. You know, he even divides mm-hmm. them into acts and scenes and things like that, uh, yep. an occult ritual or this sort of drama, um, and uh, yeah, basically sees the entire thing. Really, he sees, the like, not only the events of that day as being a mass ritual, but uh, a mass ritual that was premeditated, I guess, even centuries in advance. And uh, he sees all the—maybe not centuries, but at least decades in advance. He and, he,
1: he throws uh, it out there that maybe, this like, just how long was this being planned? I think he at least uh, kind of—he commits to the idea that— Uh, George H.W. Bush um, gave a speech about the first Gulf War on September 11th, 1990, and mentioned, uh, as he did in a few speeches that year, um, his goal, you know, which was to create a new world order that, you know, would guarantee prosperity and peace for everyone. And S.K. Bain saw that as, oh, he said it 11 years to the day before 9-11. So it was probably... And we'll get into some other theories that he does briefly cite in the book that do have uh, at least a, an intriguing hypothesis for how George H.W. Bush would could have been centrally involved and the genesis of 9-11 could, in fact, in a very material way, have been laid in 1990 and 1991. But we'll touch on that later. It's yeah. not really S.K. Bain's full focus. His is really that this was a Crowleyan, Luciferian mega ritual Played out to billions of people around the world um, on kind of the grandest stage ever staged and uh, was, you know, had a explicitly uh, esoteric and um, mystical kind of uh, objective to transform our world and our consciousness and the way we saw the world through this very spectacular, almost Hollywood scale kind of production and many other people have made that comparison in other contexts. I think there was that Adam Curtis documentary from uh, hypernormalization from a few years ago that had that montage of nineties yeah. Hollywood movie like kind of disaster movies where various monuments and skyscrapers in Western civilization were destroyed by a tsunami or an asteroid or a monster or aliens and people like looking up at like the towers. I think a few times it actually is the towers that get destroyed.
2: Yeah Um, I think what's so interesting about this is that well on one hand yeah he definitely does say even before like he definitely does indict Poppy Bush in a lot of his work but he also talks about you know the entire uh, you know, area of around the World Trade Center, you know, Building Seven with its trapezoidal roof and everything, and the the sort of trident shape at the bottom of the of the towers. Being, those mm-hmm. are kind of, he talks about in the Pentagon as being kind of like a ritual complex. But I think this kind of ties back to what um, we were talking about in terms of like, you know, who is responsible ultimately for this. You know, that's like who uh, this sort of sense of this. Uh, overwhelming, like, and I think that's something we're dealing with today, like, be it with the coronavirus or with other sort of uh, cultural fervors and uh, paranoias, like, uh, around, like, the cabal and things like that, you know, I think that there's, for uh, whatever, through the architecture of 9-11, through its design, it suggests this kind of greater force, like, this greater, uh, you know power that is uh orchestrating this and like you know it has the effect, like the sense of yeah all these films like um anyway like uh, it, there's an introduction to the book that I think is interesting by Peter Lavenda, who I guess was oh, written yeah. about this type who of stuff before. He's a
1: very yeah. suspicious figure that I, I've never read his books, but he is a person that, you know, wrote a lot about like Nazi occultism and a lot of these interesting subjects, but then also has very strange connections to uh, people like Tom DeLonge from Blue Quinity 2, <laughs> now arch uh, UFO uh, kind of face man for this like shadowy network of to the stars Academy that is pushing like ET disclosure. And, um, I think Lavenda was, I think they're in a photo with them and John Podesta, like at the white house.
2: Hmm.
1: And it's like, what are you doing? Like hanging out with John Podesta, Peter Lavenda. (laughs) But anyways, I digress. Uh, but
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, While he's like talking up SK Bain, he says something that's interesting, which is like, uh, you know, he talks about how SK Bain really understands the unconscious mind of the state, And he says that this is something that's done by agents so powerful and unknown that a belief in an ultimate uh, secret society, in caps, is our only option. Or they are evidence of the workings of an even, again, in capitals, darker force. And no one is in charge. Uh, Which is so interesting. I mean, actually, a couple uh, years ago... Uh, one of our uh, earlier collaborations uh, between the two of us, Dimitri, which maybe set the stage for the subliminal jihad. Um, yeah. we uh, you know I did a conference presentation kind of on this book and on kind of the uh, the idea of the the Dracularity of nine um, yes. eleven. and I think Dracula is an interesting way to again, it's interesting that when we took up the parallel of coronavirus, because Dracula, of course, is like a very viral sort of vampire in, uh, bat. Yeah, right. yeah, he's uh, but. The uh, one of the movies, and r- relative to what you were saying about the films, like uh, one of the movies that I really focused on, uh, vis a vis that was uh, this film with Gerard Butler, Dracula 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that movie, uh, you know, in the original Victorian novel, um, Dracula, of course, you know, Dracula is an interesting figure because he's kind of like from this liminal space of like Wallachia, Transylvania, and he's kind of a someone who's you know the historical like Vlad, Vlad Tepish is mm-hmm. like in some way like, contaminated by Islam you know because he's sort of brought up in the Ottoman court and everything and his own brother was like an Ottoman soldier and things like that and of course it's all sort of in the novel Dracula where he's a sort of eastern kind of figure but of course also like very demonic very uh, satanic um and in that book he comes over to London via boat but the way that it's updated in this movie, Dracula 2000, is of course that he comes over by plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, by a hijacked plane, uh, by a uh, criminals who kind of steal his coffin from some secret vault or something, and uh, the plane ends up crashing uh, in a field. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and when uh, he emerges, what's really interesting about this that I thought was such a, a trenchant thing, you know, aside from the whole figure of Dracula and how I think that he's really, you know, he's like the archetypal monster you know in the in the western imagination and you know? and
1: Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula was sort of intended to be the more modern conception of Dracula was sort of supposed to be a bit of a metaphor for the, like the lurking menacing like oriental kind yeah. of a like like coming from eastern europe coming from the ottoman empire at right. the turn of the 20th century
2: yeah, for sure, it's definitely very much like a colonial type of novel, and it also has like you know the aspect of like a, the disease sort of paranoia. But there's yeah, there's mm-hmm. many layers to that. But yeah, that all that stuff is like very much present. But yeah, so uh, what's interesting is that he you know he crashes, and uh, what's going on is there's a news report happening on the crash, and mm-hmm. there's a very interesting scene where Dracula kind of sneaks up on the news reporter from behind, and because the image of the vampire can't be seen in mirrors. You know, this also, I guess, applies to, the you know, video cameras. Mm-hmm. And Dracula can't be seen. So he's this sort of invisible force that comes up from behind and attacks. Uh, and that, I think, is the perfect sort of metaphor for this type of thing. Like, it's an invisible, like, you can't pin it down, like, what the mm-hmm. oper- like the agencies and the operations behind this are. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. there's so
1: many layers to the onion and there, there do seem to be almost like you, you just get this sense that there is some kind of deeper force at play, um, very much like, you know, things like the Kennedy assassination or yeah. RFK or Martin Luther King, but like it's, never, never done on such a spectacular level before.
2: Yeah, it's a sort of incredible like uh, release of energy where there's this irresistible like drive mm. to contemplate these dimensions of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, it's sort of unspeakable, but everyone kind of, yeah, and I think that the, like, the that montage from uh, hyper-normalization is kind of a a sense of this. And, of course, you know, this movie that I'm talking about came out really before Mm -hmm. 9-11. It's actually in certain markets. It's called Dracula 2001, and others is called Dracula 2000, because it came out in the year 2000. But, um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, there's this, yeah, it's, it's something where this is all, in some way, um, there are forces that, uh, I think the idea of the unconscious mind of the state is is very interesting, you know, there there's yeah. psychic forces, there's... Uh, well, I, th- we, are, like, we, I think we talked about this.
1: Yeah. yeah. We talked about before how there are a lot of actors, you know, in, in the world of particularly sort of uh, covert power operations, you know, both in the government and private industry and intelligence services where... Sure. I think it's more common than we would think that people uh, are not fully aware of what they're participating in. And truly, like things are so officially compartmentalized, both in business and especially in the military and in government and in places like the CIA. Information is so compartmentalized that... It, it It's actually, it's quite real. It's not outlandish to think that certain people played a critical part but had no idea of what they were really playing a part of. And it, it makes it hard because I think sometimes with uh, sort of trying to unmask, you know, conspirators of a specific action, um, you want to sort of ascribe uh, a sort of conscious malice and intent to those people. But what we see with 9-11, it also goes back to what we talked about, about power sort of evolving into a more distributed network, like more modeled after the structure of the architecture of the internet, where there's like nodes that interlock and interact and kind of, you know, embark on certain things together, but it's not kind of a, a, clearly defined hierarchy the, or chain of command um, that you can kind of point to like, oh, okay, it was these guys in this smoke-filled room that like did it. It's like much murkier. And mm-hmm. but but also I think it's something it's a phenomenon that we have to pay attention to and dissect because it's clearly a a chief way in which power functions in our world. And I think it's like one of the most occulted aspects of how power functions is these uh very liminal kind of collaborations, um, between various conspirators. So, you know, it's like you throw everybody from the Saudis and the Saudi intelligence services, Bandar Bush was friends of the Bush family, and then you have, um, you have, like, the neocons, the kind of Israel-linked neocons that are in the Bush administration that wrote the PNAC document. Um, and then you have, like, the Pakistani ISI who, you know, had their own games going on um, in regards to Afghanistan. And uh, and then, you know, even, like, you can't rule out, like, the MI6 and, you know, people like that. And then the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, they all kind of function in their own specific areas, and you saw a lot of, like, blocking of information between those agencies, so that perhaps, like, some people were boxed out uh, out of knowing what was really going on, and then other people were focused on one area, like people in the CA were trying to turn, you know, this is their excuse, they were trying to turn Al-Qaeda people, which is why they didn't want to share this information with the FBI and, like, bust these guys, because they were, you know, tracking them. Um, and, you know, which just gets. but then nobody, there's nobody you can kind of pin it all on is like, okay, like where did this idea generate from? Like who had, who had the original idea to yeah. do this? Like there had to have been some kind of sit down where these things, uh, cause this thing is complex, no matter what way you slice it, it's very complex and yeah. has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things had to go just right for nine eleven to work. Um, like, there had yeah. to be military exercises that moved all the planes to the West Coast in Alaska so that they couldn't scramble any fighter jets on that morning. There had to be war game exercises going on at, like, NORAD so that there were fake planes flying across the screen that were, like, fictional hijackings for a drill but then they were mixed with like real hijackings, and nobody knew like where to scramble jets too, yeah. even if they had them, and uh, and just you know like so many things, like and and like the, the the like the people that taught these hijackers how to fly, which like one of those schools was a uh, like a basically CIA front kind of airbase that got caught trafficking like. Uh, like 50 kilos of heroin into Florida like a year or two before 9-11 and then mysteriously like weren't prosecuted for it so then you have this whole drug connection so um but you know you you could spin off like that forever but (laughs) it doesn't make it easy to figure out like who you know it's a little bit too pat to say like bush did it you know what i mean like which uh you know maybe some podcasters like to say that but uh
0: today we've had a national tragedy i was there when the tower and it just rained building two airplanes have crashed into the world trade center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country there was no
1: warning the devastation is unfathomable the twin towers of the world trade center and the
0: clowns all gone to
1: have been wiped from the new york skyline you
0: can hear happiness on down
1: the Governments worldwide held crisis meetings. It's
0: quite a quite a devastating scene, from what we're told. And the wind whispers freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward, and freedom will be defended. A broom is I was in the building when I heard you know a
1: loud explosions. Firefighters simply can't get in to fight these fires right now. It is unclear how many people have died. After the astonishing and horrifying attack early this morning.
0: reassure the American people. The United States will hunt down and punish those responsible. It was unbelievable seeing the second jet come crashing into the second tower. What is going okay. on? I was thrown to a window, so I
1: was very lucky to get out. I did want to out. read, before we jump into, out. like, I'm properly, nine eleven the most dangerous book in the world, nine eleven is Mass Ritual. I, I would like to read just a brief, well, one of the appendixes in that book, which I feel like, if anybody is not of a, you know, su- suspicious enough mind yet and isn't familiar with the anomalies of 9-11, instead of me kind of rambling about it, I think if I read this uh, this sort of satirical summary of 9-11 by James Corbett, who is kind of a longtime conspiracy researcher, a little too libertarian for my taste, but uh, but does do, like, good research. And um, I'm just going to read this real quick. to so set the stage for, like, SK Bain's own questioning of this. On the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world using a satellite phone and a laptop directed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world, overpowering the passengers and the military combat trained pilots on four commercial aircraft before flying those planes wildly off course for over an hour without being molested by a single fighter interceptor. These 19 hijackers, devout religious fundamentalists who like to drink alcohol, snort cocaine, and live with pink-haired strippers, managed to knock down three buildings with two planes in New York, while in Washington a pilot who couldn't handle a single-engine Cessna was able to fly a 757 in an 8,000-foot descending 270 degree corkscrew turn to come exactly level with the ground, hitting the Pentagon in the Budget Analyst Office, where DOD staffers were working on the mystery of the $2.3 trillion that Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had announced missing from the Pentagon's coffers in a press conference the day before on September 10, 2001. Luckily, the news anchors knew who did it within minutes, the pundits knew within hours, the administration knew it within day and the evidence literally fell into the fbi's lap but for some reason a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists demanded an investigation into the greatest attack on american soil in history the investigation was delayed underfunded set up to fail a conflict of interest and a cover up from start to finish it was based on testimony extracted through torture the records of which were destroyed by gina haspel or ci director um it failed to mention the existence of wtc7 abel danger p-tech S-Sibel edmonds The bin Laden and the CIA, and the drills of hijacked aircraft being flown into buildings that were being simulated at the precise same time that those events were actually happening. It was lied to by the Pentagon, the CIA, the Bush administration, and as for Bush and Cheney, well, no one knows what they told it, because they testified in secret, off the record, not under oath, and behind closed doors. It didn't bother to look at who funded the attacks, because that question is of little practical significance. Still, the 9-11 Commission did brilliantly, answering all the questions the public had, except most of the victims' family members' questions, and pinned blame on all the people responsible, although no one so much as lost their job, determining the attacks were, quote, a failure of imagination because I don't think anyone could envision flying airplanes into buildings except the Pentagon and FEMA and NORAD and the NRO. The DIA destroyed 2.5 terabytes of data on able danger, but that's okay because it probably wasn't important. The SEC destroyed the records on the investigation and the insider trading before the attacks, but that's okay because destroying the records of the largest investigation in SEC history is just part of routine record keeping. NASD has classified the data they use for their model of WTC C7's collapse, but that's okay, because knowing how they made their model of that collapse would quote, jeopardize public safety. The FBI has argued that all material related to their investigation of 9-11 should be kept secret from the public, but that's okay, because the FBI probably has nothing to hide. Osama bin Laden lived in a cave fortress in the hills of Afghanistan, but somehow got away. Then he was hiding out in Tor Bora, but somehow got away. Then he lived in a for years, taunting the most comprehensive intelligence dragnet, employing the most sophisticated technology in the history of the world for 10 years, releasing video after video with complete impunity, and getting younger and younger. Younger as he did so, before finally being found in a daring SEAL team raid, which wasn't recorded on video, in which he didn't resist or use his wife as a hum- human shield, and in which these crack special forces operatives panicked and killed this unarmed man, supposedly the best source of intelligence about those dastardly terrorists on the planet. And then they dumped his body in the ocean before telling anyone about it. And then a couple dozen of that team's members died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. This is the story of 9/11, brought to you by the media, which told you the hard truths about JFK and incubator babies and mobile production. Facilities and the Rescue of Jessica Lynch If you have any questions about this story You were a bad shit, paranoid, tinfoil Dog abusing baby hater and will be reviled By everyone. If you love your country and or Freedom, happiness, rainbows, rock and roll Puppy dogs, apple pie and your grandma You'll never ever ever express doubts About any part of the story to anyone Ever. Alright <laughs> So I mean uh, That's just like a, a very Dense uh, kind of overview Of like the things that you know Um And I know from researching, like, those are all strange things that kind of happen. But that's kind of, I think, where that's the the angle that S.K. Bain is looking at when he first kind of dives into this world of exploring the kind of the why of 9-11 and and really even the what of it, you know?
2: Yeah. That there's Um, this
1: other dimension, this deeper, performative, uh, magical, ritual dimension to it
2: yes uh actually part of the reason why i mentioned uh my previous paper on 9-11 and, and this book and uh, it's dracularity is that during that project we recorded some uh video of you in the role of sk bane uh which you know is is pretty good i don't know uh it might to be a fun factoid but you know we can also uh, i think
1: i might i might use a little interlude for that yeah, or, uh, um, or put it in here because um, i do kind of summarize uh, the early yeah, parts of his book we in definitely that.
2: clipped out some good uh, like highlights from from the book
1: 9-11 wasn't simply a black blackout it was that and more The picture that emerges is that of 9-11 as an ultra-powerful mind-control and propaganda weapon, a psychological warfare tool of enormous proportions infused with techno-sorcery and deep-level occult programming. 9-11 was a global mega-ritual, and the painstakingly reconstructed occult script of the event contained herein convincingly shows this. We must have the courage to let the evidence tell the story because, as the reader will learn, what is at stake is not simply our view of reality. September 11th, 2001 was just a prelude to what they have planned for 2012. The number sequence 9-11 had come to mean help is on the way. The sudden reversal of meaning, which is a key tactic of occultists, was designed to induce psychic stress and mental anguish to create additional inner conflict and fear. then uh, was a weapon used to inflict further trauma on an unsuspecting public Uh, by pre-programming the public consciousness for decades with the formulation that 9-11 equals help a form of subconscious injury was inflicted through the abrupt reversal of 9-11 equals terror
2: but yeah, uh, uh, Crawley is like, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on Sirius and uh, there's a whole interlude with uh, a dog named Sirius who was killed uh, in, the, in the towers. Uh, yeah, a, port authority, a
1: Port Authority rescue dog.
2: Yeah, um, and his sort of symbolism.
1: We've met Sirius, the dog star, the shining light of the occultists, whose pernicious presence is ubiquitous throughout the 9-11 mega ritual now, meet Sirius, the police dog, the only such animal to be killed in the attack on the Twin Towers, who died in his kennel in the basement of Tower 2 when it collapsed. Sirius, a -a four-and-a-half-year-old 90-pound yellow Labrador Retriever, was an explosive detection dog with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Police Department. It just so happens that Sirius' badge number was 17, and the 17th card in the tarot is, wait for it, the star. Which, according to many occultists, depicts what else serious? Adding to the occultist delight is that K is the eleventh letter of the alphabet. Hooray, another eleven. Thus K9 is the reverse of 911. K9, 911, oh, 11 who cares, right? The intended outcome of the death of this specially named creature was, of course, that through all of the related news coverage, memorials, and tributes, the name Sirius would be heavily intermingled with 9-11, spreading like a memetic virus into people's consciousness. 9-11 to evil. Magic to Sirius. 9-11. Evil magic. Sirius. You see?
2: One of the most interesting things about uh, this is, well... I think that it's just very interesting from a ritual perspective that the towers themselves, again, you know, the, the site is very important. And I think it's important in, in Bane's conception as well. And I think it's so interesting that towers are more or less identical. I guess one has an antenna, the other one doesn't, but they, yeah. lo- you know, they're meant to look the same. And the like, the whole thing of uh, Bush being like, whoa, that's one terrible pilot," and it appearing kind of to be an accident until there's that act of, of replication, and there's mm-hmm. uh, Escapee makes a, a thing about the significance of the number eleven, which of course the towers themselves sort of resemble. They um, do. Abstract, they do. I mean, uh, yeah. Do
1: you do you want to start maybe with uh, the the sort of m- the biggest evidence he has, I think, has a lot to do with, like, the flight numbers and the sequence in which they hit and the connection to specific text that Alistair Crowley had written.
2: Uh, yeah. Because that, that sort of, that, that'll sort of make clear,
1: actually. make clear yeah. his logic that he's using. He's, he's operating in kind of a Kabbalistic
2: Yeah, it's very approach. associational, like, all of his uh, conclusions. But, uh, yeah, we can uh, talk about what the uh, the flight numbers were? Um, they were references to chapters from the Book of the Law. I think that he said yes. right, like uh, or uh, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. There, there were. I know the Lieber numbers, um, but the the yeah. very first plane to crash was American Airlines flight. 11. And that, and of course, if you use the sort of flight abbreviation for American Airlines 11, it is AA 11. And so S.K. Bain goes into, um, what did AA stand for? Wasn't it like Argentum Astrum or something like that? Yeah. Wasn't it like Silver um, Star, which is also associated with Sirius? But that, that was the occult society that he formed after he left the Golden Dawn around the turn of the century. And then the AA eventually morphed into the ordo templo orientis the oto
2: which yeah, we talked it, about
1: it, in like the kenneth anger episode a lot
2: right yeah um and yeah AA. I remember that uh crowley said that uh the prophet muhammad was like an AA magus or something uh <laughs> during his like interest in, in islam and his travels in in egypt and that type of thing but yeah it's a it's argentium astrum uh which is yeah the, like the star of silver um but uh,
1: mm-hmm. and so you know yeah. that that's just a okay so like he and yeah this is all kind of uh, circumstantial to say the least but um, it's interesting just to like rattle off all of these like strange numerical coincidences that happen so AA eleven crashes in one of the twi- of the twin towers which is like which resemble an eleven they're like two pillars um, yeah. And on Hermes, September, on to, yeah, the pillars of Hermes, which is also which is the god of what like commerce,
2: the, the, yeah, yeah, what yeah. that, yeah, like it, that's uh, actually interesting. When we communication, commerce, yeah, right.
1: When we talked earlier about kind of um, you know different gods that would be worshipped, whether it's like Baphomet or Lucifer or Satan or some of the or, or Set or uh, Isis or you know other kind of ancient gods. I think Hermes is a very interesting one that probably it seems to have a lot of influence on like the, the traditions of Freemasonry, and also definitely with, like, Aleister Crowley and the kind of more explicitly darker yeah, occult. He's kind of, um, he, he's kind of a, a god of the, like, the divine mysteries, right? But then he's also well, the god of, of commerce and business.
2: Well, there's, like, a conflation between Hermes, which is natural because they have the same name. There's a na- conflation between Hermes, who's the sort of Greek god, is like a psychopomp, uh, you know, who definitely has sort of occult resonances. And then there's Hermes Trismegistus, who is like oh, yeah. a, a different figure who is sort of the uh, founder or like the key figure of Hermeticism, who's kind of associated with Thoth or uh, Idris uh, and uh, various entities like that. But of course, there's some conflation that can occur between him and, and Hermes. Uh, and these uh, the idea of the pillars of Hermes is one that S.K. Bain kind of, you know, uh, you can see them on sort of uh, covers or frontispieces of the Book of the Law and uh, S.K. Vane connects them with the the sort of the two towers um, of the, you know, if you have a copy of the Book of the Law, you'll often see these two pillars and and, uh, S.K. Vane makes that, that parallel, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and he's you know he says from the outset. I'm just looking at a, a quote here from early in the book where he uh, he cites a, an author named Michael Tsarian um, and a piece called Symbolic Literacy. And the, from where he's coming from, like why should we care that AA11 crashed into one of the eleven towers on 9/11? He says, uh, you know, in an insightful piece titled Symbolic Literacy, author Michael Sarian observes that we suffer from, quote, chronic symbol illiteracy and are subjected to subliminal and subtextual persuasion that constitutes what he refers to as a psychic dictatorship. This dictatorship, Sarian says, quote, involves the deliberate and subversive manipulation and public purveyance of words, images, numbers, colors, rhythms, and symbols which are subsequently directed via ubiquitous media oracles toward the limbic areas of the human brain, which produces an elaborate and insidious cryptic language specifically designed to stimulate conflict between fantasy and reality. So he's he's drawing this link to, like, media technology, what we see on television um, or in the news or here on the radio as, you know, basically uh, as imbued with these symbols that are subliminal and... Um, and subversive and sort of to like, manip- you know, act on the, the limbic areas of our brain and manipulate us. So he's saying that, you know, this is sort of like, uh, I guess, th- like the intent, the, the will behind setting it up in this way kind of adds to the power of it, I guess, um, even if most people are completely unaware and, you know, I, I think, can we say, I don't know, to what extent is that scientifically, you know, accurate? Like, is that literally true? But I think in a vaguer sense, it does, I think the things, we, we knew this about, you know, commodity fetishism and things like that in our culture, that, um, that media does do this to us in, like, a broad way. Yeah. Um, it's often hidden right in, like we said, I think, maybe in episode one, that it's, like, it's often kind of, it's not subliminal in, like, the trust Naomi, trust Ultra kind of way. It's kind of, like, hidden in plain sight in your face.
2: Yeah. And That's a like much more the,
1: common way of doing it.
2: Yeah, and the idea that these have an effect, again, like it's something that I don't know, like people use different sort of epistemological tools, whether it be like, oh, we need to scientifically prove like that these things work. But the that whole like uh I don't know if that'll ever really be properly borne out, but the uh, ideas that symbols have power is obviously one of like the oldest ideas and it's really inextricable from like it's you know there's kind of a, a Uh, like a dialectic or a binary in what you're saying, where it's like, is it scientifically true? Like, you know, the way the limbic system is being stimulated, like, and, you know, it's baked into that whole thing, this whole idea of, like, appealing to the sense of, like, uh, scientific authority. Um, Mm -hmm. But really, like, the whole genesis of our ideas about science which have evolved so much. Like, if you go back just a couple of decades, like, you'll get to a point where, like, our notions of, Uh, how the universe works are completely different. Like, we've thrown out things, like, so dramatically Mm -hmm. in our ideas about, like, evolution, our ideas about astrophysics, like, all these things have, like, changed uh, tremendously, and, like, they're constantly evolving. But really, the notion of uh, symbols having some kind of operation upon the world, that the idea that you can uh, affect a change in Uh, the like in human uh, behavior or in uh, people's minds or in the fabric of uh, experience or phenomenality through uh, the use of symbols uh, through like semiotics and language is like an Mm -hmm. incredibly old idea that is inextricable from like the ideas of the sciences. I mean, if you go back to like hermeticism, that's like one of the main ways that you know, uh, scientific ideas are transmitted between cultures, like uh, the you know uh, the the sort of Hermetic corpus, which is uh, associated with Hermes Trismegistus, as I mentioned, who has some association with with Thoth and sometimes with with Hermes. Um, and, yeah, and yeah, it's a like and, yeah, know.
1: Thoth comes from ancient Egypt, right? Yeah. Well, and did Ge-Hoodi, Hermes Trismegistus Ge-Hoodi also is, real name. Is, yeah. is, is Hermes Trismegistus uh, a, a confirmed historical person?
2: Um, or it, someone wrote, like, the, you know, Nag Hammadi documents, and, like, there's, it's, I guess he's not maybe a confirmed historical person, but, uh, he, you know, sometimes he's associated with being Thoth, and also, like, the Egyptian gods always have, like, are given, because there's obviously, like, a huge, uh, cultural crossover between Greece and Egypt, uh, you know, a lot of the time, Greek gods are given, uh, or sorry, Egyptian gods are given Greek parallels. Like uh, we've talked about, Set in the past, uh, he's mm-hmm. often associated with Typhon, uh, okay. and Thoth is often associated with Hermes. You know, Ra. Maybe associated with Zeus and um, things like that.
1: So, and we'll, we'll like, get we'll, we'll get to like later a uh, thought will come up again when we talk about like the ancient Egyptian calendar, which I guess is still followed by Coptic Christians in Egypt, which actually starts on I believe September or at least that year, it started on September 11th and is the date when uh, when of Sirius's heliocal uh, uh, rising.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, which, so um,
1: yeah, heliacal rising. So uh, basically, it was New Year's Day for like serious worshippers. It uh, was nine eleven two thousand one. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll 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 touch on that like uh, kind of down the road. Um, the the one other thing I'll say about flight eleven and SK Bain goes into this, and this is really a cornerstone of like you know the theory he's building here um, is that uh, Aleister Crowley. Um, was a big fan of the number 11 and considered it, quote, the number of magic in itself and therefore suitable to all types of operation, as well as the sacred number par excellence of the new Aeon, the Aeon of Horus. Um, And he also stated in the Book of the Law, my number is 11 as all their numbers who are of us. Um, And basically, uh, that also goes back, like in the the Kabbalah, uh, I guess the number 11 was imbued with a kind of sinister significance and was basically uh, the idea of, like, it represents, like, magic in itself, the number of yeah. magic in itself. So, like, actually, the very one, first plane announces that this is a magical operation in, in yeah, Bane's view.
2: One of my complaints about uh, S.K. Bane's book is it doesn't really cite, like, his sources very carefully, but I did track down, like, because I was like, did, you know, Crowley say it, like, in what context? Uh, and I did track it down. Uh, I forget. I think it might be uh, Libra ABA or something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. it's in ma- it's subtitled magic and theory and practice. Um, And uh, he said this. The most generally useful and adaptable battery is composed of 11 strokes. The principal reasons for this are as follows. Firstly, and he puts these in quotation marks, so I don't Mm -hmm. know, maybe because he's talking about numbers. He doesn't, but anyway. 11, as you said, yeah, is a number of magic in itself. It is therefore suitable to all types of operation. Secondly, is the sacred number par excellence of the new Aeon. As it is written in the book of the law, 11, as are all their numbers who are of us. Uh, Thirdly, it is a number of the letters in the word Abra-Hadabra, which is the word of the Aeon. The structure of this word is such that it expresses the great work in every one of its aspects. Lastly... It is possible thereby to express all possible spheres of operation, whatever their nature. This is effected by making an equation between the number of the serapha and the difference between that number and 11. For example, 2 degree equals 9 square is the formula of the grade of initiation corresponding to yasad. Yasad represents the instability of air, the sterility of the moon. But these qualities are balanced in it by the stability implied in its position as the foundation and by its function of generation. This complex is further equ- uh, equilibrated by identifying it with the number two of Chakma, which possesses the airy quality, being the word, uh, the lunar quality, being the reflection of the sun of Kether, as Yesod is the son of Tiphareth, It is the wisdom which is the foundation by being creation. This entire cycle of ideas is expressed in the double formula. Two degree equals nine square. Nine degree equals two square. And Any of these ideas may be selected and articulated by a suitable battery. So you can definitely mm-hmm. see, like, many of the residences there with 9-11, the idea of, like, the air, nine, uh, nine the squared. foundation, stability, instability. Yeah, 9, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 11 mm-hmm. minus 9, you know, like, all that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, you could definitely see how someone of the sensibility of SK Vane looking at this would be like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and,
1: um, Yeah, I mean, well, he quotes, I think S.K. Bain is convinced of this, uh, that author William Ramsey observed that Crowley, quote, wrote numerous books detailing his vision of the ideal society, the strong over the weak, the maintenance of a patriarchal aristocracy ruling over a slave state, and the the Darwinian killing of the unfit. According to the great beast, a small elite must rule over the masses, quote, you'll observe that I am advocating an aristocratic revolution, and so I am. So I think that that's pretty self-indicting for Crowley. For anybody that still thinks he's cool or just, like, an edgy rock and roll uh, libertine, um, he wanted an aristocratic revolution and the, you know, Darwinian uh, killing off of people he thought was unfit and a, like, uh, like philemic aristocracy like ruling over everybody. So, I mean, pretty in line with, like, reactionaries and their world objectives, I'd say, in, like, the early and well no, yeah, just the 20th century in general and probably this century too um it's just it's, it's very simpatico and he also says that uh that 11 you know he says is the book of uniting oneself to a particular deity by devotion oh actually no that that is the next plane so okay <laughs> so sorry um so after flight AA11 crashes into the north tower after that flight 175 crashes uh, into the south tower and SK Bain. is um has sort of drawn the connection to Crowley's Liber 175, which, as I just said, is the book of uniting oneself to a particular deity by devotion. Um, And he says in the book, concerning the ceremonies, prepare a powerful invocation of the particular deity. Let it be known that this method is adaptable to the necessities of all. Let him take anything soever and consecrate it. Let him consecrate each thing that he useth to the service of that particular deity. And Bain says, meaning... This is a ceremonial invocation, the act of invoking upon a deity, spirit, et cetera, for aid, protection, inspiration, or the like. Flight 11, consecrated with the number of magic and declaring the commencement of a magical operation. Flight 175, invoking Lieber 175, stating the intent and purpose of the operation, i.e., invoking and uniting with a particular deity um, who, you know, he believes to be Lucifer. Yes. So um, one there thing you go. that's
2: interesting that he talked about in this book is the the famous Face of Satan in 911. Do you yeah. remember that? Like Yeah, uh, yeah, I did yeah. read that. Yeah, that, which yeah. was actually
1: Rudolf Steiner's portrait of I forget the name, it was a Zoroastrian god that was sort yeah, of uh, Yeah,
2: Arihman. Uh the sort of yeah, dualistic. Uh yeah, it's it resembles uh the uh the sculpture of Arihman that Rudolf Steiner did according to to SK Bain. Um I mean, it kind of just like you know looks like a generic Satan but yeah it definitely bears like a strong resemblance uh to to that that sculpture um but yeah it's interesting that he um he makes that connection because I remember that being that was like another aspect of 9-11 that was interesting during the time was the sort of proliferation of all these sort of stories like all these urban legends about like, what yeah. was going to happen next you know and, exactly. and the, and and the like spiritual chain kind of email thing yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah. the right. dirty
1: bomb thing you're right was was, was yeah. a big deal for a while and uh, mm-hmm. and I think I'll give SK Bing credit there because you know he ponders whether or not the, you know surely this you know image of the uh, Zoroastrian devil, you know, is probably not a coincidence, but he, d- he does give you a kind of material out there by saying, like, uh, it, it's definitely possible that somebody could have just, like, photoshopped that and then released it to the wire services and then, yeah. you know, meant for it to be found and was kind of like an inside tribute to... Um, you know, um, basically the dark forces, kind of like a shout out, which seems actually quite easy to do. And even in a way, like people weren't savvy enough about photo editing back in 2001 with like computers. It was, it was still like kind of a niche thing. And I feel like it would be relatively easy to like pass that in to like, you know, the news stream and get some people jumping on it and yeah. not. If you did it today, people might be like, oh, is this shopped?
2: But, well, yeah, they might say that, but there's also an aspect of just pareidoia to it, you know, like uh, it's looks like, you know, there's many things that look like faces, like clouds, you know, it's literally a cloud, like, you know, there's just like a couple mm-hmm. spots of shadow, like it's, you know, there's a man on the moon and stuff like that, of course, the famous face on Mars, like, but that's mm-hmm. what's so interesting about it, I think, is that once this is sort of identified, once it's seen, you know, uh, who can say that this isn't? like a face, you know, like, uh, who can, you know, it's, it's, yeah, like, uh, I think that, yeah, the binary between, like, oh, well, you know, it's just, like, a bunch of clouds, for, but, like, when people notice the... You know, once it's observed, once it's experienced, that's what is significant. That's what matters. I think
1: it, exactly. In a way, it's kind of uh, it's it, it's it's some it's not totally irrelevant, but it's somewhat irrelevant to like the effect, the intent, the effect of the operation, the outcome of uh, having a kind of psychological effect on people that um you know that it was it was presented to the public in this way. And kind of disseminated as this like scary thing. And then because you can't exactly kind of pin it down or even if you say it was just smoke, like it's just like a weird coincidence. So it's still in this category of things in your head that are kind of just bizarre. And the whole 9-11 thing was so bizarre that it just get, yeah. it just amps the fear and the terror and the paranoia and not knowing up even further.
2: Yeah. Another thing that he kind of talks about right after that is the correspondence between. The sort of rider weight uh, hanged man card at the tarot with the mm-hmm. falling man. And that is, is very bizarre. The, yeah. the, the, the bent it's quite leg. Uncanny.
1: Yeah, yeah. The bent yeah. leg is om- it is very similar to the tarot card of the upside yeah. down hanging man.
2: Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, yeah. I think that's one of the the most compelling uh, sort of uh, parallels that he that he points out. Um, and yeah, it's 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 quite striking and it's it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, because it's he's perfectly vertical. He has that exact bent leg, and again, this is like you know a famous image. It became mm-hmm. like a you know a defining image of that day. Like this, you know, this person. Uh, and yeah, I yeah. think that, that probably does have some significance. Like whether you know it makes an impression. Um, it was strange
1: that uh, so S.K. Bain pointed this out, and I actually had missed it in earlier times looking through this, that uh, that man's brother was one of the village people. Wow. Yeah.
2: Just I thought bizarre. that he had never been identified, uh, but I guess maybe. According to S.K. Bain,
1: was- maybe in the updated version of this, book, there was a whole, I believe, I don't know if it was a, like a New Yorker article. There was a whole magazine kind of article about this man and the mystery around like nobody could figure out who he was. This is back in like, you know like 2002 or whatever and became a very iconic image and there was a whole, I think there was even like a movie kind of based on like searching for this guy and like who was he and um, it was just such like a frightening image Um, and so symbolic like a man kind of erect with like one leg bent like dive sort of just like upside down, yeah. plunging into the abyss, and like the steel, you know, pillar of the World Trade Center kind of, you know, in the background. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it looks kind of, it is very uncanny and otherworldly. Like he's sort of floating or flying yeah. or something. Um,
2: yeah, you immediately, when you see it, you picture yourself like in his condition and just like the whole, like, soul freezing terror of being like, so high up, like, just falling helplessly. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, Yeah, and his clothing, everything about it is, so, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I guess uh, let's move on to the next plane that hits, (laughs) which again, S.K. Bain uh, ties to a specific uh, writing of Aleister Crowley, and that was American Airlines Flight 77, that's right, AA-77, which crashed into the west side of the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia. And he notes here a few interesting things about the Pentagon um, that uh, they really are a little bizarre. Like, it, it sits on the 77th parallel. It is 77 feet tall. Um, and he even throws in a little uh, a, a little quote from our, our old friend Anton LaVey, who wrote in the Satanic Bible in 1969. Um, uh, he basically had 77 names of Satan. Like, there are 77 infernal names in the Satanic Bible.
2: Yeah, of course, um, like, seven, as we've seen, like, in some other episodes of the show, is, like, one of the most important, like, occult numbers, like, 777, you know, yeah. and, yes, anything to do with seven. Yeah, and... Be, yeah.
1: And another detail that uh, Bain points out that uh, actually I think I had forgotten about, but there were in the restricted airspace over the White House and the Capitol that morning, I think maybe an hour or two before the plane came in and hit, there was a uh, there was a plane, a military surveillance plane, which is often referred to as a doomsday plane um, that is meant to like be a command and control center in the event of like a national attack or a nuclear war or something like that. And it was flying low over D.C. Multiple people saw it And I guess people had looked into it And it's call sign was Venus 77 Wow which of course has a whole thing to yeah, Venus and like Star. a Venus yeah, yeah, yeah. Is representative of blah blah, blah. Um, but just like another seven seven right there. And it yeah. should it, it bears mentioning that uh, the sort of um, the groundbreaking ceremony that began construction on the Pentagon was September eleventh, nineteen forty one, and it was exactly sixty years later that it was uh, attacked and and attacked in a very strange pattern um, in in a way it because the plane I think came in from the north it had to do like uh, as i read in that that little parody summary it had to do like a a perfect like 270 degree corkscrew turn to hit the side of the pentagon that it hit and i guess the 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 flight instructors at the very at the schools where that particular hijacker had learned to fly they rated his flying as like incredibly poor and said that he really couldn't he couldn't even get rated to fly a single-engine Cessna. So he was like a shitty pilot. And so it's something a lot of people have sort of harped on of like, why why didn't he just crash into, like, the north end of the Pentagon? Like, that wouldn't have been that hard. But instead, he does this huge corkscrew thing and, like, nails it perfectly and then blows up the accounting office and kills everybody in the office of national intelligence who was, like, looking into, like, uh, like money laundering and, like, <laughs> Pentagon black ops. Like, um, okay, that seems a little strange. But, you know, I mean, that aside, um, there's just another Crowleyan, um And I forget, what does Libra 77 say? Oh my god, how could we forget? It's called Lieber Oz. Oh. And that's that. That's the thing that he also gets into is the kind of the recurrence of like Oz imagery. Like we talked about, Kenneth anger and kind of uh, his fascination with like the Wizard of Oz books and how the they were based on by E. Frank Baum. They were based on a lot of Rosicrucian principles. So, um, so Oz. People even think that like there there, there is a, a theory of like the like JFK assassination is mass ritual, basically that points out that like you know Lee Harvey Oz Wall. Hmm. Hmm. You know, like things like that
2: Yeah, it's basically a pretty short uh, Epistle It's basically the rights of people According to Thelema it's like Oh, the that's right, yeah, strong. I did save this, is this. Our law and the joy <clears throat> of the world
1: Yeah, yeah, say, uh, say that again According uh, the, to the,
2: the f- law of The law of the strong This is our law and the joy of the world And do th- what thou wilt Shall be the whole of the law Thou hast no right but to do thy will Do that and no other shall say nay Every man and every woman is a star. There is no God but man, Uh, woof. Man has the right to live by his own law, to live in the way that he wills to do, to work as he will, to play as he will, to rest as he will, to die when and how he will. Man has the right to eat what he will, to drink what he will, to dwell where he will, to move as he will on the face of the earth. Man has the right to think what he will, to speak what he will, to write what he will, to draw, paint, carve, etch, mold, build as he will, to dress as he will. Man has the right to love as he will. Take your fill and will of love as he will, when and where and with whom ye will. Man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights. The slave shall serve. Love is the law. Love under will.
1: E- Yikes! Uh, uh, man yeah. ha- and, and maybe that I don't even know if Bain makes this connection, but if you're thinking about it as kind of like a, a coded message to people that maybe were investigating financial malfeasance in the Pentagon, in that very office, uh, the fifth kind of uh, the, the fifth commandment in this liber man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights, which is the right of kind of the global like bourgeoisie to own everything and use the world as their playground and like keep everybody and and the and the and the slaves shall serve
2: (laughs) yeah that's the most chilling way to end that whole thing um
1: Yeah, yeah so in a way it's like it's it's going straight at like the investigators of even if you're you know a military person you we have the right to kill you um if you try to thwart our rights by exposing all the criminal shit we've been doing yeah. Yeah. So that that happened, um, and uh, I then and then I guess maybe we can talk briefly about Flight 93, which he also he draws some connections with.
2: Yeah. Didn't he say that like "Let's Roll" had some kind of occult significance, like the the meaning of the words "Let's Roll"? I'm Possibly. To... Yeah. I don't
1: think I had it written down.
2: Like, uh, let's roll were the last words she heard him say as he put down the phone and joined a group of fellow passengers as they prepared to attempt to regain control of the airplane from the hijackers as the heroes of United Airlines Flight 93 fought to break into the pilot's cabin. The cockpit voice recorder captured the high gaggers chanting, Allah is the greatest. Moments later in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the aircraft struck the ground with such force that the only thing visibly remaining was a smoking crater. The official version of the crash of Flight 93 is that the aircraft was traveling at such a high speed and steep angle as it struck the ground at a reclaimed coal mine in Pennsylvania that it was completely swallowed up by the earth. One could surmise that the soil itself might have been loosely compacted as a result of excavations and thus would have been a contributing factor in- the total disappearance of the plane. As the local coroner surveyed the impact site shortly following the crash, he found scarce evidence of the aircraft or its occupants. The largest human remains he initially recovered was a section of five vertebrae. Yes, he calls this a disappearing act.
1: Yeah, um, an yeah, airmail was- greeting to Salemites worldwide.
2: He, yeah, he makes a, a big a bigger deal about how it's uh Shanksville was kind of where it crashed, like and that uh-huh. they were sort of shanked in this in this way, and he also connects that to Crowley, you know, being British and. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And and the the numerical significance of Flight 93, because, of course, S.K. Bain does find one, is that the two phrases that are like the central philosophical concepts of Thelema are do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law and love is the law, love under will and uh, employing isopsophy. Uh, which is the Greek practice of assigning a numerical value to letters of a word and then adding them to obtain their sum, similar to gematria, the value of both these words, uh, will and love, equals 93. So it is common for Thelemites to greet each other with 93 in person, as well as in the opening and closing right. of written correspondence. The custom derives from Crowley's instruction that Thelemites should greet each other with the law of Thelema by saying, uh, you know, do what that well, it should be the whole of the law. Since saying the entire law, law can be cumbersome using 93 has become a sort of shorthand yes so uh yeah i mean he says he says uh, like i wasn't sure if this is kind of him just you know speculating but i guess crowley wrote in a letter i am often asked by why i begin my letters this way with 93 no matter where i'm whether i'm writing to my lady or to my butcher i always i begin with these 11 words Um, Interesting, those are 11 words Uh, That's another thing Why, how else should I begin? What other greeting could be so glad? Look, brother, we are free Rejoice with me, sister There is no law beyond do what thou wilt And yeah, so uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. that that that's another thing that, like, technically does check out. Uh, Crowley wrote that 93 is also the number of the secret word of the neophyte of AA, a word indicating symbolically the whole course of existence. And, yeah, the, the let's roll became, like, a very big kind of battle cry, like, taken up by President Bush. And was emblazoned on Air Force fighter jets, fire trucks, athletic jerseys, and countless t-shirts, baseball caps, and souvenir buttons. Uh, and it was commemorated in popular songs, such as Neil Young's ra- rather kind of cringy uh, song, Let's Roll, um, hmm. which actually, listen, I'll probably put it in Um it It's like, you know, it's just like, damn, they really, they got to Neil Young too. Though, of course, I mean, he was in the mix back in the 60s. So I don't want to say, I do like Neil Young. So it's like a bummer to see him kind of like... Just signing up for, like, the Let's Roll Brigade and, uh, and you know, not kind of thinking about what that would be used for. Um, but that such was pop music in 2001 and 2002. It was a dark time for American music and, I would say, culture in general. You know, this really um, another interesting parallel to, like, coronavirus, whereas there's actually a material shutdown of production and things like that you know, in 2020 that, like, prevent us from even making TV and movies. Um, There wasn't anything, you know, the country kind of came back online, um, with the exception of downtown Manhattan, you know, pretty quickly. I think, you know, like, SNL came back, there was, like, The Daily Show, uh, LA was unaffected, but, like, but the psychic impact, it was almost like a psychic shutdown of the country, in that, like, you could only talk about, like, let freedom ring, let's roll, uh, you know, uh, and then that quickly morphed in to support our troops and kind of all this other shit and it was just a really like kind of grim time uh, I mean if you had your doubts about not just not even 9-11 but like invading Afghanistan you basically had to like shut the fuck up for like at least yeah. a year Like there was no space in the official culture for entertaining any kind of skepticism about what Bush was doing like the first year after 9-11.
2: Right. Yeah. It was not a time uh, for that. Not at all.
0: Let's roll. Time,
2: time out. Let's roll. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for any kind of skepticism of any of that, for sure, was not uh, about to be tolerated. Yeah,
1: I Uh, believe uh, there Um, almost nobody in Congress opposed any of it. I think Barbara Lee was the one who voted against, uh, you know, um, invading Afghanistan. But now she's like a Russia gator (laughs) and uh, Russ Feingold, I think, voted against the Patriot Act in Wisconsin. But uh, right. Yeah, that was pretty much it.
2: Yeah. Um, There's a. a bunch of, like, uh, good uh, Bane content in terms of, I guess, one that jumped out to me relative to what we've been talking about on the podcast. Of course, there's so much around Building 7, to go back to the whole issue of 7. Um, and he talks about how it was, uh, you know, they had this sort of trapezoidal roof and everything, uh, I think, was it something did. that, yeah, we uh, have discussed in the past and uh, made... Uh, you know, he mentions the, the order
1: the, of the trapezoid
2: Right, yeah
1: And uh, the fact that it's a frustrated triangle And,
2: yeah, and it has um, some kind of
1: weird mystical significance Because of that
2: Apparently it was also known as the Solomon Brothers Building, uh, mm. another connection to the, the Templars, which we uh, have discussed, and, and uh, the whole idea of, you know, the, the temple, the King Solomon's Temple, the al aqsa Mosque, um, yeah. and yeah, so he draws a connection there and its importance in Freemasonry uh, and everything. Uh, there's this whole thing about the 47th problem of Euclid, but I feel like he doesn't, Uh, use this properly uh, the like occult significance of it but yeah he does talk a lot about the um, order of the trapezoid and uh, before he goes on to the sort of astrological significance and the Statue of Liberty as kind of a a Luciferian or Promethean type of figure holding the blaze aloft and so yeah there's really like a yeah Promethean
1: kind of Lucifer statue that was was designed by a Freemason and Yeah, so you of, can uh,
2: see the deep idea, like, of how, like, you know, uh, this is a whole, like, ritual complex, like, that this... Uh,
1: yeah, I, I love the idea of the kind of other secretly ritualized architecture around the World Trade Center kind of having a ringside seat. Um, yeah. The, 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 one of the more interesting and kind of spooky ones is the Millennium Hilton Hotel, which I think is, like, right across the street from the World Trade Center, and is kind of this very sleek, all, like, black obelisk of a skys. Scraper that um, I think By their own admission was modeled After the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey Hmm. And so immediately right there you think 2001 Like no, you know, like because uh, like I mean, some of the pictures of it, it does. It's like this monolith is just sort of like posted up right there, watching these towers get you know torn to pieces and like demolished, and uh, and it, you know, he said it was you know, basically bearing witness to a sinister ritual of you know human transformation.
2: Yeah, the uh, the like the next thing I feel like that uh, really is needy is the uh, serious stuff which is great about this uh, yeah, Port Authority rescue dog who, I guess, uh, fell in the line of duty. Um, uh, you know, his badge number was 17, which, you know, and Tarot is the star. So he, you know, of course, hooked up on that. You know, K-9... Um, you um, know, K is the 11 K, 11th, the 11th K letter, is the 11th yeah. le-
1: letter of the alphabet, right. so 119, reversal of 911. Um Sirius is also referred to as the dog star. It's connie's Major, right. which means yeah. the greater dog. Um it's yeah. actually the hunting dog of Orion, I think.
2: Yeah, maybe. I'm not or sure It's the yeah, nose but it's definitely of Orion, the dog star. Or of like, dog uh, You know, the classic uh, you know, character from Harry Potter, as we know, Sirius Black, the dog man. So he, you mm-hmm. know, that was the name of Sirius. But, yeah, he quotes
1: Sirius uh, Radio, of course, Sirius Satellite Radio, of course, eh, uh, like, yes. took off, like, shortly after. I feel like early 2000s is really when yeah, Sirius definitely. became. Yeah,
2: definitely. That was the heyday of Sirius Satellite Radio. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, and that's, like, a big... Uh, Sort of uh, axe to grind that uh, K- S.K. Bain has is with Sirius, yeah, and he, he does. Um, yeah, he quotes this uh, sort of memorial poem that was written for the dog, and I guess posted online. Oh, it's online. really creepy. Yeah, uh, Sirius, dazzling sparkle in the distance, brightest star on earth, closest to our heart. You came and shared your light for such a little while, brought such brightness, gave such joy. Now you shine above and watch from distant skies as the guardian you were, as the guardian you are still. Companion, guide, protector, friend, partner and pal on constant alert. Courageous and cautious, patient and obedient, strong in spirit, gentle in design. Quick to defend, eager to follow, disciplined for action, poised for careful command. Serious, brilliant in the night, star of the first magnitude, hero of the same, nine light years away, held here in our hearts for eternity, run free across the rainbow bridge and in green pastures. You have done your job well, friend. Like so yeah, I kinda do see the like creepy occult occult resonances of this uh Whoever like, wrote poem. this? Yeah, like seems in a very way, invested
1: yeah. in the kind of mystical double entendres of yeah, like, you know, the, the um, Yeah, it's weird. Um
2: yeah, on one hand, like, you know, yeah, it is, like, sad that this dog died and everything. But, yeah, like, the whole eeriness of, like, in this context of you have done your job well, friend. Yeah, it's a creepy uh, link that uh, is being made here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, of course, I know many people who have named their dogs Sirius. It's a popular name for dogs. and But this poem, like, really could be, like, from, like, an Alistair Crowley epistle or book for sure. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's very, has that... Strange style. Mystical so. quality yeah, to it. It definitely has that Mystical uh, aspect to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another, and, like a, yeah, well, anyway.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I also just wanted to throw out, uh, the other date that he throws out is, like, very conspicuous is August 5th, 8-5. Mm -hmm. And I guess what he points out is that uh, the, the groundbreaking kind of ceremonies for both the World Trade Center and the Statue of Liberty were both August 5th. Um, So he sees that as maybe some kind of possible connection to, you know, they both kind of had the same Masonic origin. And just to take it down to, like, the realer thing, he does mention later that the Rockefeller brothers, David and Nelson, were heavily involved in the conception and getting, like, getting the project of, like, the World Trade Center basically off the ground in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, at that time, David Rockefeller was the head of Chase Manhattan Bank, and Nelson Rockefeller... Rockefeller, who I think had worked in some kind of CIA psychological warfare capacities for the U.S. government after World War II, you know, went on to become the governor of New York and then later uh, the vice president under uh, Gerald Ford. Um, And in a way, you could almost, I think he even suggests that in a way it's like those two towers kind of represented both the Rockefeller brothers And kind of were a monument to like their, you know, their mighty stature in business. But the Rockefellers are into so much suspicious spiritual shit that I would not be surprised if there was something deeper going on um, with their kind of choice of, you know. and, And if people are saying that, you know, these towers, some people do say that these towers were kind of maybe the plot to blow them up one day was sort of baked into even, like, the construction of it. Um, I guess it had a lot of, like, structural kind of issues with it and things like that.
2: Yeah, well, um, it's definitely S.K. Vane's idea that this was, like, a massive, like, sacrificial complex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Which uh, you, you know it is not quite as it's not quite as wild as saying that this has been planned for a thousand years before the city of New York existed, but like bit. to say that this all happened within the lifetime of at least David Rockefeller and kind of was like a culmination of you know his sort of life's worth to like reentrench and extend American like you know Anglo-American imperialism. Um, over the entire world and then inaugurate this new kind of like dark age of empire. Um, you know, he said a lot of weird quotes that SK Bain quotes of, you know, uh, people for years have dogged us and said that, uh, you know, we were part of like a, an insidious conspiracy of elites who were like secretly managing to build a one world government. If that's the charge, like, I, I plead guilty and I'm proud of it and stuff right, like yeah, that. Like you said a lot of that long stuff long in the long. 90s, yeah. right after, I think, curiously, the Soviet Union collapsed, where he finally felt safe to kind of come out and kind of brag about, um, the secret game, you know, we said, like, I thank the New York Times and Newsweek and all of these, and the Washington Post for their, uh, for their, their discretion over the years, um, even though they were aware of what was going on in our meetings. And, you know, and he co-founded the tri- Trilateral Commission, was big on the Council on Foreign Relations, all these kind of imperialist planning groups that, you know, uh, developed a lot of, like, the strategy deployed by, like, Brzezinski and Kissinger and, um you know, Reagan in the eighties and, and, and definitely the Bushes, the Bushes were like deeply involved in both of those organizations. And, um, and I think, I think it was Dave Emery um, who claims that like the trilateral commission really refers to kind of like a new American led axis of like a Germany led crypto Nazi EU, like a crypto fascist, like Japan and, a, like, crypto-Nazi United States, and, like, that's the trilateral axis of, you know, the New World Order, basically. I don't know how much is literally true, but there's always a lot of weird Nazi people and bankers who... We're friends with Nazis. Um, kind of uh, floating yeah. around in this this thing. So, anyways, like that. Yeah, there, there's just a lot of suspicious stuff about these towers themselves, what they represented, the people that built them, um, and the yeah. eventual. I think Larry Silverstein was the landlord or the owner yeah. of these towers, right? And he gave that he suspicious was a famous quote.
2: famous pull guy. Yeah. Yeah. Is, the, he said yeah. pull
1: it. Which he meant, like, pull the firefighters out, but people thought that meant in, like, controlled demolition parlance, that meant, you know, detonate it because it's a ruined building.
2: Well, yeah, he basically did mean, like, destroy, like, you know, let it fall. um, Yes. Give up on it, uh, you know, so. But, yeah, people think, like, pull the trigger of the controlled demolition is, like, also a interpretation of those words i see Um,
1: i see yeah Yeah. and of Uh, course if if like if he said pull it that means they would have had to rig that building with explosives or there were explosives already in it and they were able to rather quickly detonate it and bring it to the ground which would then make the theory that they did that to the world trade towers one and two kind of much more plausible because it's like oh he did it to this building that wasn't it wasn't going to fall over. Uh, it just had these bad fires in it. Um, or, you know, it was just like kind of irreparably kind of totaled by this damage. And, uh, and, and so then he came out and said, no, 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 I meant like, uh, pull the firefighters out. I didn't really mean it like that. And that's been Mm -hmm. something people, Bane included have like jumped onto and, um,
2: yeah, I don't know if uh, i do not sure if SK Bain like endorses the nano. I've always been very skeptical of any kind of like nano thermite or like controlled demolition type of thing. Like you know, uh, I think that there's definitely more to nine eleven than meets the eye for sure. Definitely more than we were told. But I don't really subscribe to anything to do with uh, the controlled demolition of any of the buildings. I well no, I
1: know, you yeah. you don't you don't find it. Highly suspicious that three of those skyscrapers all collapsed in exactly the same way, despite being damaged in different places. And, you know, they weren't hit at the exact same structural point. One of them just had fires, and they all collapsed as if they were controlled demos.
2: Well, yeah, I guess they collapse as if they were controlled. Like, in what way? You mean like they didn't topple over? They collapsed. Like, like, if their you've ever seen them,
1: if you've ever, yeah, exactly. They didn't break off. Like the top part that was compromised didn't like lean over and fall on the rest of Wall Street, which would have been absolutely catastrophic. It would have destroyed yeah. like dozens of buildings. And you think if you're planning this operation to destroy these two buildings, but you don't want to like annihilate all of Wall Street, um, it, it would almost be reckless to not control them of them.
2: Yeah, but in I a think way. that like, it's in a way, in the way that they were built, like, I think that it is possible that there's, uh, you know, that the way that they were built, that's, like, how they would fall, like, it went due to the, the heat. I think that that is possible. Especially, well, I mean, I think that, what leaving aside whether they were designed to fall, like, I think that... Uh, I have heard know, that that, that they that were designed to
1: pancake basically like yeah. that, that is a normal way to design skyscrapers because you don't want them breaking off and yeah falling yeah over. That's uh, an under,
2: yeah exactly that's a that's a different way of interpreting it from saying that they were always meant to be part of this ritual but yeah I think that also like for whatever reason that is like that and I think that. It is, like, I know that there's been some dispute about this uh, in terms of, like, saying, like, whether it was possible for the fires to cause the collapse of Building 7, but I just think, like, it's still unclear whether, like, uh, you know, this was just a structurally unsound building that fell over. You know, I think that, yeah, in terms of the controlled demo stuff, I just think that... uh there, it's, I don't know, there's an easier way to like go about this. Like, you would, you know, yeah, you would do that if you wanted to collapse the towers, but if you just wanted to do this, then maybe you wouldn't even necessarily. Need for them to collapse. I don't know. like. Well, you know, actually,
1: I just, saw yeah. a point. I saw a point that somebody made the other day that pointed out, lest we forget, that there was a previous Islamic, t- quote unquote, terrorist yeah. attack on the World Trade Center in 1993 that right. blew up a bomb in the basement and actually, you know, killed several people, injured a right. lot of people, and did a lot of like damage to the building. And I'm not saying like you know, the, it's like uh, it, just to point out that the impact of that, that was kind of like a oh shit event, but it didn't lead, it didn't open this door for a complete transformation of law, culture, or foreign policy, or yeah. kind of society. It didn't have the magical if you will, kind of psychological like mind war effect that you needed out of an operation like that. So in a way, you had to go all the way with it. If you, it just you know, thinking in terms of yeah. Bane's antagonists here, like you would have to go all the way, even in just a practical sense to sort of really drive home the apocalyptic impact of this thing. And, uh, and, yeah. you know, well,
2: I think definitely in terms of Bane's theory, you need to collapse the towers for sure. Like, mm. uh, he says, I think this is a good quote, uh, from S.K. Bane, uh, the Twin Towers were sacrificial altars or vessels, and were themselves sacrificed as part of the 9-11 Mega Ritual. The mass human sacrifice and the destruction of the sacrificial vessels, recalling the burning of the Wicker Man, were performed in the presence of these four oversized occult symbols, each of which bears its own significance and meaning. He's talking about like things that are around the tower, like uh, the architecture and around the towers, like the pyramids and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he yeah. says,
2: yeah, um, more than one of these symbols invokes the Blazing Star, Sirius, and it also is possible that these four symbols to constitute a coherent occult statement. Perhaps they are a three-dimensional explication of what could well be the ultimate goal of the mega-ritual itself, the transmutation of human consciousness through fear and terror, which is kind of, you know, what you're getting at. But That's
1: very mind war, um, yeah.
2: Yes, but uh, yeah, I think that definitely, well, definitely in terms of Bane's uh, schema, you definitely do have to use the planes. Uh, and I think that the planes is definitely part of the horror of 9-11 is maybe the idea of, like, you yourself being in that position just, like, on yeah. your commute, you know? Uh, uh-huh. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that the planes are important to, like, the, the horrifying aspect of it. Um, I Yeah, and I think that, yeah, in order to have the same impact, they'd have to collapse the towers, but in terms of the, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that I, like, I could see how, like, maybe if you it, had it, to, it, but I'm not sure if, it, like, I feel like I feel like you wouldn't have to use controlled demolition. I feel like they could have done it a different way. Like, even if they wanted to destroy, like, in some theories, people say they want to destroy certain offices, you know? Yeah. I feel like yeah. they could have, like, slammed those planes into the base of the towers and then, like, let them, you know, fall down. Like, uh, and I think, But
1: But again, we like, get back to the point of, like, if we're assuming this is, like, a wider network doing it, they don't want the tower to, like, tip over.
2: Well, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I feel like if you're already committing to it, like if you, you know, uh, well, but, on but it's you also, want, I mean, you,
1: know, you have to entertain like a lot of different things in terms of like their motives. And like, if we're going to go with kind of the, uh, should I speak really quickly about the Project Hammer like, uh, oh, yeah. uh hypothesis, right. which is almost one of my personal kind of pet favorites of, uh, sort of nine eleven hypotheses that give it a very grounded but like no less chilling, motivation for doing this that's like very different SK Bains, but SK Bain does cite it in in the appendix of his book.
0: Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in LA? Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger And fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry Did you weep for the children Who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sobbed for the ones left below did you burst out with pride for the red white and blue and the heroes who died just doing what they do did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus and I talk to God. And I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave greatest is love Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day Teaching a class full of innocent children or driving down some cold interstate Did you feel guilty cause you're a survivor? In a crowded room did you feel alone? Did you call up your mother and tell her you loved her? Did you dust off that Bible at home? Did you open your eyes and hope it never happened? Close your eyes and not go to sleep? Did you notice the sunset the first time in ages to speak to some stranger on the street? Did you lay down Think of tomorrow Go out and buy you a gun Did you turn off that violent old movie you're watching And turn on Isla Blue Siri runs Did you go to a church and hold hands with some strangers Stand in line and give your own blood Did you just stay home and cling tight to your family Thank God you had somebody to love I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN But I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope and love are some good things He gave us and the greatest is love I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN But I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in our rock and our red. But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope and love are some good things he gave us And the greatest is love And the greatest is love And the greatest is love Where were you when the world stopped turning On that September day?